0: Daniel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, this is Daniel writing, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me at first. In the vision, I was looking and saw myself in Susa, the capital, in the province of Elam, and I was by the river Ulai. I looked up And saw a ram standing beside the river. It had two horns. Both horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up second. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. All beasts were powerless to withstand it, and no one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became strong. As I was watching, a male goat appeared from the west, coming across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a horn between its eyes. It came toward the ram with the two horns that I had seen standing beside the river, and it ran at it with savage force. I saw it approaching the ram. It was enraged against it and struck the ram, breaking its two horns. The ram did not have power to withstand it. It threw the ram down to the ground and trampled upon it, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from its power. Then the male goat grew exceedingly great, but at the height of its power the great horn was broken, and in its place there came up four prominent horns toward the four winds of heaven. "'Out of one of them came another horn, a little one, "'which grew exceedingly great toward the south, "'toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. "'It grew as high as the host of heaven. "'It threw down to the earth some of the host "'and some of the stars and trampled on them. "'Even against the prince of the host, it acted arrogantly. "'It took the regular burnt offering away from him "'and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. "'Because of wickedness, the host was given over to it "'together with the regular burnt offering. "'It cast truth to the ground.' And kept prospering in what it did. You hear that? It cast truth to the ground and kept prospering in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to, that, said to, the, to the one that spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that, take, that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled? And he answered him, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I tried to understand it. Then someone appeared standing before me, having the appearance of a man, and I heard a human voice by the Uli, by that river, calling, Gabriel, help this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I became frightened and fell prostrate. But he said to me, understand, O mortal, that the vision is for the time of the end. As he was speaking to me, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. Then he touched me and set me on my feet. He said, listen, and I'll tell you what will take place later in the period of wrath, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power." At the end of their rule, when the transgressions have reached their full measure, a king of bold countenance shall arise, skilled in intrigue. He shall grow strong in power, shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does. He shall destroy the powerful and the people of the holy ones. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall be great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, shall even rise up against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken, and not by human hands." The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. As for you, seal up this vision, for it refers to many days from now. So I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was dismayed by the vision and did not understand it. Previously, Daniel had dreams. This is different. This time he has a vision. And this vision is in a particular location. And you could find it on a map if you wanted to do that research. I'm not going to draw one for you, but you could certainly find it. And this vision that he has here about these two goats, a ram and a male goat, I don't know the difference between those, maybe a farmer could tell us, or a rancher, but the vision's connected to the visions that have come before it. And what's happening in the book of Daniel is his visions are becoming more specific. God is revealing more and more with each successive vision. So this is not a new vision, it's the same as the other ones, but it's becoming more precise. And what God is drawing our attention to in this one is what I want to share with you today. And I think the reason he gives this to Daniel is because he was preparing Daniel's people, the people of Israel, for the coming of the Messiah. And it was many hundreds of years out from when Daniel spoke. But he was preparing Israel, and these visions were meant to guide them to be ready. But it also warns us and prepares us, not just for the first coming of the Messiah, but also for the second. Because history repeats. There's nothing new under the sun. The events that lead to the first coming are also coming in their fulfillment near the coming of the second. It's the same sun, but second coming. As we reflect upon this vision of Daniel, we're going to consider the rams and their horns first, then the fifth horn, what that fifth horn is. And then finally, we'll talk about these 2300 evenings and mornings. So let's look first at the rams and their horns. So this is Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 18 to 22. But I'm just going to start reading in verse 20. I think it'll give us enough. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. Now we've already seen this prophecy of the coming kingdoms of what's sometimes called Medo-Persia and Greece. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream... They were represented, Persia was represented by silver and Greece by bronze. In Daniel's dream in chapter 7, which we talked about just recently, Persia was represented by a bear and Greece by a leopard with four wings. Now, as Gabriel explained to Daniel, Persia is represented by a ram with two horns and Greece is represented by a goat with one horn that's broken and replaced by four horns. And again... Daniel's vision is strikingly accurate to history. This is so accurate to history that modern theologians believe that this had to be written after the fall of Alexander the Great. In the kingdom of Medo Persia, the Medes rose first, but the Persians quickly outstripped them and took over. That's the two horns growing at different rates, right? That's actually what happened in history. The image of Greece is equally accurate. The initial horn is Alexander the Great. Some of you know him. And truly at the height of his power, he died very strangely. Some of you can look up the story. Some think he was poisoned. Some think he died from like some sort of uh, food that had spoiled. You can can study the history. But he was at the top of his power when he died. And that's exactly what Daniel predicted hundreds of years before it occurred. And at the height of his power, after he died, the kingdom could not be held together. So it was split up into four sub-kingdoms, each ruled by one of his generals. And that's precisely what Daniel said would happen. Those are those four horns. So Daniel is again given a vision of the future kingdoms that he's already seen before. And this time Babylon's not mentioned, and that's because he's right at the end of it, right? Belshazzar is the last king and he only rules for a few years. So Babylon's not mentioned, and God was zeroing Daniel in on the final three kingdoms. The fourth kingdom may not seem to be here. It's here. We'll talk about where. Where? What's important to remember at this point is that Nebuchadnezzar's dream indicated that all of these kingdoms were part of the same statue. They're all sourced in the same thing. They look to be separate kingdoms. They're even warring with each other. But they're all ruled by the same Lord. These are Satan's kingdoms. Do not be deceived. When he comes to Jesus, he says, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me and I'll give them to you. And Jesus doesn't quip with him about that. Because humans have given him their kingdoms. That's precisely what's occurred. But these are all part of the same statue. In the human realm, they look like separate kings. It's the spirits behind these people that keep transmitting from one to the other. So Persia might have been its own ram, but Greece came against it. But who sent them against each other? The same spirit that ruled both. And so we are sent at war against the flesh when the real battle is against the spirit. And that's what Daniel's vision begins to tell us. All these kingdoms are part of the same statue. Don't be deceived. They come from different geographical regions, different periods of history. They have different ethics. They have different laws. They seem to have different principles. But they're all part of the same statue. Let's think about that fifth horn though, the little one. So you have the one ram with the two horns. The little one horn comes up first, but the other one comes up second and overstrips it. I don't know how that looks. What an odd looking ram. But in the end, it defeats everything. It's powerful. That's the Persian empire. But then another one from across the sea, Greece. He, he, he flies. Did you see it? He doesn't even touch the ground. This is a flying goat. I would love to see it. And he has a unicorn of all, he has a huge horn coming out of the top of his head and he's flying at high speed right at the other ram. And then he smashes into it and he defeats it. And and that is exactly what Greece did, not only to Persia, but to the whole known world at the time. And he destroyed it. But then that horn was broken. Alexander died and his kingdom was divided into four. And out of one of those kingdoms, the text says, a little horn arose. And he grew up. That's the one I'm talking about. This is verse 23 of Daniel 8. At the end of their rule, when the transgressions had reached their full measure, a king of bold countenance shall arise, skilled in intrigue. He shall grow strong in power, shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does. He shall destroy the powerful and the people of the holy ones. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall be great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and shall even rise up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken and not by human hands. So this horn grows out originally from one of the horns of the goat. And this is important because the spirit that's being talked about here begins in Greece. It begins in Greece. It comes out of one of the kingdoms. We actually know who the little horn, who it was speaking to originally, who that spirit was speaking to. The man's name was Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. He reigned from 175 to 164. And he does in small measure what Revelation says the Antichrist is trying to do in large measure. He attacks the temple of God. He does this in history. He sets up a statue of Zeus in the holy place. And he bans the sacrifices to God. Antiochus does all this. This is what caused the Maccabean revolt and what eventually led the Jewish people to revolt against the Greek Empire, and they do get a period of time where they rule themselves. This is the origin of the group called the Pharisees, in the New, I mean the Sadducees in the New Testament, and the Hasmonean dynasty, and the Pharisees. All of this starts to happen at this time. So Antiochus, and, and there are plenty of people who read this text, and they say the whole thing's about Antiochus he's the one. And then it's over. And the only reason it says it reaches to heaven is because he attacked the temple and to attack the temple is to attack God. Well, that's kind of true. But Antiochus is just the beginning. He, he's the spirit and it rises out of the goat. But he's the fifth. The spirit that raises Antiochus is also the spirit that infuses Rome. And this horn, this fifth horn that grows to monument is Rome. But it starts in Greece. Daniel seemed to see two things that you must remember. First, Greece and Rome will not be distinct empires. They come from the same place. And do you know they do? So very interesting, isn't it, that Daniel saw that both of those kingdoms would rise out of the same goat. And that goat is Europe. And they did. But this little spirit that decides he's going to make war against God and against his Holy One starts with Antiochus Epiphanius and he translates into Rome, and It's the entire history of the Roman Empire. Both Rome and Greece come from Europe. They're only about 650 miles apart. The Romans kept the Greek language as the common language of their empire. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. They retained much of Greek mythology. They just changed the names. And they incorporated much of Greek philosophy. Even their government was structured after the wisdom of the Greeks. We often call it the Greco-Roman Empire. That's what Daniel saw. Even though Rome was in charge when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the culture was called Hellenistic, Greek. Even more, Europe at that time, around the Mediterranean Sea, is still referred to by historians as the Greco-Roman world. Essentially, what Daniel was being shown was that the same spirit that gave rise to Antiochus Epiphanes would be behind the rise of the Roman Empire. Again, the, the people change, but the spirits remain the same. The people change, but the spirits remain the same. And this particular spirit would be intent, his whole goal was war on God and, of, and against his people. And history records its early forms in Antiochus Epiphanes and then in the early Roman Empire. And Revelation reveals that this same spirit that gave rise to Antiochus, that gave rise to Greece, that gave rise to Persia and Media, that gave rise to Babylon is the same spirit that is behind the beasts of the book of Revelation. And all those beasts were given their authority by Satan. At least that's what Revelation says. So that's that fifth horn. That fifth horn is what in the other visions, Daniel saw as legs of iron and feet mixed with clay. What he saw as that beast with the iron teeth smashing the whole world. In this vision, it's that fifth horn that rises to heaven. Then Daniel eavesdrops. And he hears two of the holy ones, two of the spiritual beings who are part of God's counsel talking to each other, and he overhears them talking about how long this was going to be allowed. This is verse 13 of chapter 8. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one that spoke, for how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled? And he answered him, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. The phrase traditionally translated, uh, in your Bible to say this, the abomination that causes desolation. It doesn't say that in the New Revised Standard Version, but it does in the NIV, and it used to in the older translations too. That phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, it's going to occur two more times in Daniel, and it's a phrase used by Jesus when he speaks of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He says that the abomination that causes desolation will be set up. So this is an important image. It first predicts the behavior of Antiochus Epiphanes and the day he set up an idol in the holy place. That's the the abomination that caused decimation at first. Then, he also caused animal sacrifice to cease. That leads to the Maccabean Revolt. But again, it's a shadow of what is to come. Jesus predicted those same events would unfold near the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which also occurred again in 70 A.D. And then it occurred again in 135 A.D. And Revelation points to the fact that those early things, just like Antiochus, are just shadows of what is eventually going to come. But people today are still looking to fulfill this prophecy for the temple in Jerusalem to be rebuilt, And for somebody to come and set up an idol in its sanctuary. And that is how it occurred in the past. But who is the temple of the Holy Spirit now? Is it a building in Jerusalem? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. At the end, the abomination that causes desolation will be set up in the midst of the faithful. And it's already here. And Daniel wants to know how long will this be allowed? How long? Will this be allowed? Well, the the answer is very interesting because it's very historically accurate and it's symbolic for all time. Daniel overhears two of God's spiritual beings discussing how long God would allow that abomination to last. And he says, 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, some people, if you read commentaries, you'll find that some think, that that is 2,300 sacrifices, and there were two done every day, so they think it's about 1,150 days. But those of you who know your Bibles well enough, you know when God talks about a day in Genesis 1, he says there was evening and there was morning, a first day. And so it's more natural to believe this to be 2,300 actual days in my reading. So that's a little more than six years. A little more than six years, he says, this would be allowed to last. And in Antiochus' time, That's about how long it was, like right between six and seven years. Very faithful prediction of Daniel. But that number is also symbolic. How many days did it take God to create the earth? Six, and then he rested on the seventh. Six days he created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day he decided to make a man in his image, a being in his image. And then he divided that one creature into two and created male and female. So that all happened on the sixth day. We have the story of creation, six days, and then God rests on the seventh day. But then in chapter 2, we go back to the sixth day and the creation of humanity and of animals and all that stuff, and never is the seventh day narrated. There's no story in Genesis 2 and following where humans join God on the seventh day. And that leaves us with the impression, at least the way the scriptures are written, that we are still on day six. That we have never gotten off of it. That God is still creating a being made in his image. And he is still at work doing what he wanted to do. That day six is a long, long day. And the book of Hebrews confirms that reading when he says that when we finally enter heaven, what does the book of Hebrews call it? God's rest. God already had entered day seven. You and I have not yet gotten there. That's the new heavens and the new earth. And so by saying it would be allowed to rule for six days is more or less saying it will be allowed to rule until the kingdom of God comes. So the specific historical moment of Antiochus, he was going to allow it for six years, but that's a shadow because it also explains God's delay in coming for all of history. He will not come until he has finished his work. God speaking through Daniel to begin to zero in on the events that would herald the coming of the Son of Man, the Prince of Princes. From Daniel's vantage point, the first coming is most crucial, so he focuses there. But from ours, the second coming is what looms on the horizon. And who knows how long God's mercy will go. But what you and I have to learn from this story is that God has already revealed to us the events that would come. And it should not be surprising to you or to me that nations rise up claiming to be messiahs. So hear the truth, church. The Antichrist is not a person. It's a people. The Antichrist is not a person. It's a people. It's an ideology. It's national. And there will be a person who sits atop of it, But that person will only represent what's beneath him or her. The Antichrist is a people, a people who believe the kingdom of God should be built on earth and they have been entrusted to do it. That is a replacement Messiah, an Antichrist. And you can see, as John told us in 1 John, that there are many Antichrists in the world, he said, in the first century. Of course there were. How many people were in the world pretending to be the saviors of humanity? Claiming to bring the kingdom of God on earth. Some of them were even Christians. But that spirit would continue to be passed on. You and I must realize now, where we are in history, that God is judging the Antichrist in which we live. And he's asking us to come out. It's the same thing he had told the Israelites. That they were an exiled people in Babylon. And God gave Daniel a vision to know that Babylon was just the first of many kingdoms and that God was going to take them down. And that they were all false pretenders, but he would send a king, the son of man, who he would give the authority to rule. And we know who that is. We live after he came. That is Jesus. But God has delayed his coming to test his people and to give mercy to the earth. And he has waited to see if you would claim another Messiah instead of waiting for his. And the truth is, most of us have gone for the flesh and not waited for God. And we are now in the midst of the very beginning of judgment as God is trying to remind His church of where they are, what time it is, and from whom they've come. The only thing I can challenge you to do is what I started with you must repent, you must follow Jesus, you must lay down the idols, you must clean out your houses. You must reset your priorities. You must stop making excuse for your sinfulness under the guise that you're weak because when you say you're weak, you say God is weak. Is it the spirit that works in you or are you alone? Do not believe the lie of the enemy that you have to remain as you were. That's the gospel of demons. If you really believe him, he can heal you. He'll heal you as he wants to. He might leave you sick, but he won't leave you unclean.